Good evening, brothers and sisters. As those of you who don't know me, my name is Ted. On uh, Sunday, Sam used the young hip guy for his Sunday service. For Wednesday, he has the seasoned, salted senior guy do his Wednesday, but that's okay, so that's no problem. Gil, will you be able to get the, the pictures up or no? Yes, don't worry about it. We're in good shape. So, uh, Gil, good evening and welcome. Glad to have you all here. And so, you see I wrote on the board the symbol for dynamite, TNT. We're not going to talk about dynamite, but we do know what dynamite does. It explodes, but when it's stable, it stays solitary. So I'm just going to tell you a story, and being a former educator for 14 years and still educating folks, of course I have a wife that kind of educates me, I do best by telling a story which sets the tone and the tenor for what we want to talk about. The Trans-Alaska Pipeline stretches 800 miles through Alaska. And because it was built through an earthquake zone, engineers had to be sure the pipe could withstand earth trauma. They decided on a network of Teflon sliders designed to ease the shock when the ground moved below the pipes. On November 3, 2002, an earthquake of 7.9 occurred, causing the ground to move 18 feet to one side. And that was one of the slides I was going to have Gil show. But the Teflon sliders moved gently to accommodate the movement without any damage to the pipe. And the key to that was the foundation, the foundation that was built to make sure, knowing that those earthquakes were going to happen, not waiting for it to happen, that knowing what was going to happen. So brothers and sisters of Genesis, we all face earthquakes in life. And that's not really talking about dynamite. We're talking about trials and tribulations. Anybody that's in this room, that's ubiquitous to all of us. We've experienced them, we're going to experience them, and they're going to happen. So what my mission is this evening is to go through some scriptures, and we will be scripture happening, so get your Bible or your device ready. We're going to be going through a lot of scriptures and talking about people in the Bible that went through trials and tribulations, how we can maybe put in place our own foundation to withstand some of those trials and tribulations. So let's start with James chapter 1, verses 2 to 8, and then we'll drop down to verse 12. That's James chapter 1. Verses 2 to 8 and then 12. My brethren, count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that person suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. And in verse 12, blessed is the person who endures temptation. For when they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. One of the most difficult parts of Christian life is the fact that becoming a follower of Christ does not make us immune to life's trials and tribulations. I think all of us would say amen to that. Why would a good and loving God allow us to go through such things as the death of a child? 
disease and injury to ourselves and many of our loved ones. And we have many of our loved ones who are now facing trials of health-related. We know he loves us, but sometimes we face financial hardships. We have worry. We have trepidation. We have a lot of fear. And surely if God loves us, we've all asked this question of ourselves, how would he take all these things things away from us? After all, doesn't he love us? Doesn't he want us to have a very comfortable, meaningful, prosperous, wealthy life? And by contributing to the kingdom, we're going to get prosperous? I'm not one of those guys. But you've heard them make those kind of comments. But we know that God is always in control. And he wants us to clearly learn about his teachings in regards to the trials and tribulations. So if you look at Romans 8.28, most of us know that scripture by heart. That's Romans 8.28. And I'm going to paraphrase it. He works all things together for good for us. So that must mean that the trials and tribulations he allows in our lives are part of the working together of all that is good. Therefore, for the believer, all trials and tribulations must have a divine purpose. As in all things, God's ultimate purpose for us is to grow more in the image of his son. This is the goal of the Christian. And in everything in life, including the trials and tribulations, is designed to enable us to reach that growth. It is part of the process of sanctification, being set apart for God's purposes and fit to live for his glory. And the way trials accomplish this is explained in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. That's 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, in this we greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, we have been distressed by various trials that the proof of our faith, being more precious than gold which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The true believer's faith will be made sure by the trials we experience so that we can rest in the knowledge that it is real and it will last forever. This is not a temporary, this is not short-lived, this is a long-term, eternal component for what Christians believe in and what those trials are going to be going through. Trials also develop godly character. I can speak of this truly for myself. I've been through multiple of them. So let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. That's Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. It says, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And Jesus set the perfect example. So if you go down to verse 8, same in Romans 5, It says God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These verses reveal aspects of his divine purpose for both Jesus' trials and tribulations and ours. Persevering proves our faith. And it's so eloquently stated in Philippians 4.13. We all know that one by heart. I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens us. Not on our own strength, not from the strength from our spouse, not from the strength of our jobs. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can accomplish all things. However, we must be careful never to make excuses for our own trials or tribulations. And I'm sure I can get a witness here. If they are our own result of our own wrongdoing, because it says in 1 Peter 4, 15, and that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, by no means let any of us suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. God will forgive us of our sins because the eternal punishment for them has been paid by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. However, we still have to suffer the consequences in this life for our sins and poor choices. And everybody in this room has made poor choices. And if you haven't, I want to talk to you because I'm going to pray for you for lying on folks. But <laughs> we've made those choices. For whom the Lord loves, he will chastise. I knew that scripture even when I wasn't a Christian. Because I was getting whipped almost every other day. So I'm fully aware of it. But God uses even those sufferings to mold and to shape us for his purposes and our ultimate good. Through all of life's trials and tribulations, we have the victory. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. It states, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Although we're in a spiritual battle, Satan has no authority over the believer in Christ. God has given us his word to guide us. That's why I said stay in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship. He's given us his Holy Spirit to enable us and the privilege of coming to him anywhere at any time to pray about anything. He has also assured us that no trial will test us beyond our ability to bear it. And that's also in Scripture if we just look at 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 10, verse 13. Most of us know that one by heart, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation, and I will say that again, no temptation has overtaken us except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that we may be able to bear it. So let's take a discuss in some of the men and women in Scripture that experience trials and tribulations. The first one, starts right in Genesis, is Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And though he earned the trust of his master, and had run the whole household, he got ratted on by one of the Kardashian sisters and said he had done something evil to her, and then he was incarcerated and thrown in prison. And even though he was thrown in prison, and he interpreted, he's given the gift of interpreting dreams, and he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer for Pharaoh. He forgot about Joseph for two years and left him even further there. And then when he finally got out, the Lord did place, bless him, and put him in an elevated position within Pharaoh's household to basically save all of mankind by storing up all the grain and putting that together. So Joseph trusted in the promises of God. He knew that God had a plan for his life. And Joseph endured the difficulties because of his faith in God's word. At the end of his life, 
Joseph said to his brothers who had horribly mistreated him, and you'll find this in Genesis 50, 20, the last chapter, fifth to the last verse, as I was doing my studies, he says, but as for you, you, my ten brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So even through Joseph's trials and tribulations, that was all part of the character building that the Lord was having for him. So when he got put into that position in Pharaoh's household, he was able to save not only just his family, but all of the folks that would eventually come to be known as the nation of Israel. Moses certainly had some highlights in his life. And he spent time in the presence of God and was an instrument for God used to lead the children of Israel from Egypt. But he had multiple trials along the way. At one point in Moses' life, if you look at Numbers 11.15, he prayed that God would kill him as a show of compassion because he had enough whining and complaining and moaning from the nation of Israel. And he said, Lord, please kill me. These Israelites complained so much that Moses thought that God would just kill him instead of making him live with their complaints. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of us don't like people to cry, whine, complain. I was thinking of Val and his job. If a guy was lifting a beam and he starts whining, complaining, that means you get the thumb, adios, on out of here. Okay. Now, I worked with a group of people in New York City for four years. They gave me more gray hair than any child I had in 14 years of teaching. The name of that company, I won't say it, but it's a very large company. So I knew what Moses was going through. (laughs) (laughs) Then we look at Naomi, the much-loved story between her and Ruth. You know, Naomi went to follow her husband to a foreign land and lost everything she had. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And then she said, forget it. I'm going to pack everything up and I'm going to go back to, uh, to Israel. And she took Ruth with her. And when they arrived, Naomi was so discouraged, she told the folks in, in, in the town, because there's this in you know, Ruth 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, she asked them that, you know, Naomi means pleasant. She wanted her name to be called Mara, which is bitter. Yet nowhere else in the, in the scripture would she was ever called that. But God restored her hope and her pleasantness. And in the end, Naomi and Ruth developed a wonderful relationship. And as you've read the scriptures, Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, They had a child who was Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. And then Jesse, of course, was the father of David. And yes, Naomi experienced trials, but emerged victorious through the hand of God. And then there's our dear brother Job. And Job writes in the opening chapter of his story, Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if you know that story, Job lost all his houses, lost all his money, lost his bins, lost his cattle. He lost all of his children, and he still chose to praise God for his goodness. Job recognized that everything he had in life came from the hand of God. And if God chose to take that away from him, then who was Job to complain? He, 
addition to the physical loss, he had to also endure the mental anguish from his three friends and his own spouse who told him what? Curse God and die. I can't let that go by. So I'm a sidebar here for a little bit. And my wife is not going to be happy with me. Now, if you read the whole full book of Job, and I'm going to preface again, this is a sidebar. It had nothing to do with this message. That was a bold statement by his wife. Curse God and die. She mentioned that to him to go do. Just kill yourself and get it over with. Do you know that she was not mentioned again in that very lengthy book? And you all know that Job was restored and he came back and he got the children and he got all the wealth back. So I always wondered, what happened to her? You ever think about that? What happened to Job's wife? I took a little shot at it. Did she run off with camel traders? Did she go into super hibernation and come back as Joan Rivers? I was going to say she got, you know, taken care of like, you know, in the, in the Godfather. And, you know, they bring in the, the, the vest to Sonny and they ask him what that is. Well, he sleeps with the fishes. But I can't say that because they lived in Arabia, so they're in total desert. But what it really speaks to me is the following. So sometimes the worst trials are perpetrated upon us by the people closest to us. But even though Moses saw the strength of him, Job saw the strength of his hand, it's his wife who he trusted, who he thought would be empathetic and pray for him and get him moving forward. She was one that came. He could probably understand it and the accusations from his friends, but not from his wife. Then there's David in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. That's Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. David wrote, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen our heart. David acknowledged some of the trials, tribulations and enemies he had encountered. Yet he concluded that God is faithful and that he is good. David saw the good hand of God throughout his own life. Now, we all know David was not loved by everyone. He faced trials from those above him, which was Saul, who tried to kill him multiple times. And people that he had leadership over, which was Joab, who disobeyed him multiple times and killed men that were more worthy than he was. And then his own son, Absalom, tried to take David's life and usurp him on the throne. Yet David chose to see the hand of God in everything that took place in his life. And he persevered. And he was a man after God's, God's own heart. Then there was Jeremiah. I found this very interesting as I was doing my, my search. I had no idea that Jeremiah was only 17 as a prophet. I can't imagine the loneliness and the isolation that beset upon that guy. And here he was trying to get these malcontent, Israelites to repent and move forward. He is known as the weeping prophet because he cried and grieved much for his people. They were unrepentant. They continued in sin, though he warned them repeatedly. Though Jeremiah's trials were not physical in nature, he suffered great spiritual anguish because of Israel. 
in the end, they refused to listen to the warnings of God through Jeremiah. And hence, they were taken captive into Babylonia for many, many years. It states in Jeremiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. And then the person who faced trial upon trial upon trial upon trial, and we all know him and probably the leader of a church that we face today, that we have today, is Paul. We know the Apostle Paul suffered multiple trials at the hands of people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, This is Paul talking, and he starts with the question, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 40 stripes, five times minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in peril of robbers, in peril of my own countrymen, in peril of the Gentiles, in perils in cities, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. My goodness. Paul endured this trial, which caused him to depend more upon the Lord. He was told by God that the afflictions were to show the power of God a weakened life. When we are sick, in need, persecuted, distressed, it's all for Christ's sake. Then God can show himself strong for our benefit and his glory. God told Paul that his grace was sufficient. And if it was sufficient for Paul, God's grace should be sufficient for us today. So how do we turn these trials and tribulations into blessings. If we go back to what we read in 1 James verses 2 to 8 and 12, I believe that has unfolds five things that are required. I have no data for something like this. For those of you analysts, these are part not of the scripture other than what I found in James. But this could be a recipe for our perseverance and handling trials. Because again, all of us have them. Many of us are experiencing those trials even now, today, even tonight when we go home. But it could be our key to persevering, which leads to eternal life. 
So the first thing to cultivate in the midst of a trial is a joyous attitude. And that's where James begins. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when we encounter various trials. Now I know that's difficult, brothers and sisters, that have joy and be all happy and smiley. My wife thinks I'm crazy when stuff like that happens, but I don't know anything better. It's to have that joy. Because you're going to go through them anyway. And you might as well have a joyous attitude in moving forward with that. Two, not only does perseverance through trials require a joyous attitude, but an understanding mind. Because verse 3 says, knowing. And knowing is the key word. We think we know. But you truly need to know. Because if the key word in verse 2 is joy, then the key word in verse 3 is knowing. And that's by what? Personal experience. Now there's some senior folks in here right along with myself and we we got some knowledge. We learned it. Some of us, we learned it the hard way. But that having that joy and then knowing gives us the information needed to evaluate our trials so we can look forward to the joy that we're going to experience later. And what we need to know is that God is doing a work in our life. That's what we truly need to know. And the work that he's doing is to develop our spiritual strength so that we'll be more useful. The test is producing. It's achieving. It's accomplishing. When Sam started this ministry of Genesis, I didn't come right away. My wife came. She didn't you know, physically divorce me. She just spiritually divorced me. She just started, I'm going to come up to Genesis and I'm going to leave Church X over there off of 11th Street. I didn't say the name. You was laughing. And so when I came to the first Bible study when we were at that elementary school and seeing the uniqueness because I, I could never grasp in my mind why we were always paying $500, $600 for guest speaker and, and then we had one right there. It didn't cost anything. It just shocked me. So when I'm thinking about this knowing aspect and the test is producing, achieving, and accomplishing and what's been produced and achieved and accomplished in the five years that Genesis has been in existence, it's outstanding. And it's slow, steady, incremental, godly growth led by an individual who's trying to do something that's unique in our community. And so when I think about that, the trials and tribulations he has gone through. Number three, we have joy, we have knowing. The third point is a submissive will. It says in verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect result, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Simply put, we should never be reluctant to let God do his perfecting work. But we are. Those of us that think we have a little intelligence. I asked one of my sons one time, and I've said this before, you know, he thinks he's highly intelligent, and I'm sure he is. He likes to, you know, show me his degrees, his BS, the BS, and then he goes over to his MS, and so I'll, I let the little MS stay there, and you can put whatever words you want behind the two acronyms, the two letters. And he tells me how smart that he's become over his 30 years. 
So I asked him a question. I said, you know, the people that, you know, changed your heart and moved you around and you used to be a, you know, right on, on fire Christian, you know, how much do you think that person knows? 100% in the world, how much do you think he knows? And he came up with 4%. I go, that means he's a 96% dummy then. He doesn't know the rest of the 96%. So whatever we're trying to convey to you has some merit. So please consider that on behalf of us as we go forward. And no offense to the young people here. You guys have all those degrees with the, all the stuff on them. So a submissive will, and that's allowing Lord God to work and do his perfecting work. Through trials, we're brought into spiritual maturity. Joni Erickson Tata wrote a book called When God Weeps. Some of you might have read it. And at the time she wrote it, she asked John MacArthur to write the appendix appendix on what the scripture says about what God is doing in our suffering. He wrote the following, very simple, one sentence. Discovering God's hand in hardship is really a discovery of God's word. Let me repeat that. Discovering God's hand in hardship is really a discovery of God's word. Reaching out, opening up the scriptures, reading those scriptures, digesting those scriptures. Now there are a myriad of scriptures in the Bible that unfold for us what verse 4 is talking about. The completeness, the perfect result, the lacking nothing that the Lord is trying to affect through our trials. As a trial comes along, it produces the endurance. The endurance when we'll allow ourselves through that trial to enjoy God's provision and to gain that endurance. It has an increasingly perfect result, bringing us even in more maturity toward the image of Jesus Christ. The fourth component of our recipe is a believing heart. If any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give to all people generously and without reproach. How many of us do that? Pray for wisdom. Let me be wise today, God what I have the decisions I have to make. Let me be smart about what I'm about to do or say or commit to. This is something not just our young people, but even us as more seasoned brothers and sisters in the Lord need to be asking God to generously give us this wisdom. And then five, ask in faith, without any doubting. This is the huge one. That's verse 6 of First James. Ask in faith without any doubting. Because a person who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that person expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. So brothers and sisters here at Genesis and guests, will we allow God's grace to satisfy us today? I can't imagine the suffering that folks are going through throughout the world or even what folks here in this room are dealing with. And yet we continue to deal with them without coming to him and reading his scripture and reading his word. Will we allow his grace to satisfy us today? Some of you have physical afflictions. 
We live with them daily. Many of us have great pain and loss from family and friends. And I'm going to tell you this right now. We're going to experience them going forward from time to time. Many of us have elderly parents. And we need to have ourselves mentally and spiritually prepared to be able to minister to our other siblings as we go forward. Whatever your trial is today, trust in the grace of God to be sufficient. Go to him in prayer. Read his word. Allow him to be all that you need to endure during some of the trying times that are coming forward. I'll close with the following. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, O oh Father. We know that your word never comes back void, Lord. We pray that you would get our pastor and his wife back home safely this evening and welcome those who are coming back from Haiti. We ask for your blessings in all that we do for the remainder of this week. And we ask this now in your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.